You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Dylan Terriman and Alex Varallo. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Jet Nation Radio. I uh, do apologize for the slight delay. My computer decided to do an update before, uh, about 10 minutes before I decided to log into the studio, and it took the entire 10 minutes for my computer to warm up, so I do apologize for the delay. Um, Dylan, are you on the line? I'm here. Dylan made it. Okay. Um, as I was explaining to the listeners here, I was having some uh, computer problems on my end and uh, just apologizing to the listeners. But we're here, so that's the past at this point. Um, wasn't feeling well last week, lost my voice, had a stupid head cold, so we had to postpone the show. Thought I could rally. Um, still not all the way 100%, but uh, much better than I was last week. How's everything with you, Dylan? doing better uh just like you i was a little sick under the weather last week ended up missing a couple days of work so glad to be back on the upswing feel better talking prospects for two weeks out from the draft and we got a lot of draft notes to uh get into tonight yes indeed and um, we also have a special caller uh or special guest i should say calling in at some point um not 100 percent sure uh, what time that will go down, but um, definitely excited for that. So we're going to uh, just leave it at that, and when that individual calls, you will know who our special guest is. All right, so Dylan, um, not a lot of activity in Jetsland besides uh, trade rumors. Uh, you know, every time there seems to be a disgruntled wide receiver uh, on another team that a team would be open for trading. Uh, you know, apparently Joe Douglas needs to get up and stop whatever he's doing and, and start making offers. So uh, quite interesting to see all the DK Metcalf and Debo Samuel and, um, you know, who knows, maybe by tomorrow we'll have another wide receiver thrown into the rumor uh, bunch here. Mm-hmm. But um, the only news that I could say that, Internally, Jets-related is that they recently let go of uh, Ryan Griffin, uh, tight end on our team for the last couple seasons. Um, just going to be honest here, not much of a loss for, for the Jets here. Uh, I know that he was probably the more one of the most talented tight ends that we've had in recent years, but that's really not saying much due to the lack of production um, that has come from that position group. So uh, wish him well and uh, look forward to seeing – you know, Conklin and Uzama and maybe a potential rookie tight end uh, lead the charge here for our new tight end, uh, you know, group. So uh, not much there, but any thoughts on Ryan Griffin being let go, Dylan? Um, No, just that we thought that this was more of an expected move. Obviously they signed two bigger name free agents in Uzama and Conklin. So obviously it just knocks him down the pecking order and, I'm sure they want to get a little bit younger and more upside at the position in general, whether it's, you know, a, a young veteran or 
potentially a day three rookie or however they want to add to that room. But it was an expected move. Um, he had a good stretch in 2019 for the Jets, I felt like. And then he got hurt, never really came back the same. And, yeah, he was the best line or tight end, rather, that we've had in recent years. Obviously, there was hope for Chris Herndon, but it's just been a bad position all around. So better to just wipe it clean and start over. And it's, it's expected, but saves $3 million. It's a good little bit of cap space, helps us sign our draft picks. Right on, right on. Um, kind of just jumped over the whole trade rumor thing. Any thoughts in regards to um, <clears throat> the Jets with DK Metcalf and uh, Debo Samuel? Um, yeah, I mean, he. we know Debo Samuel wiped his Instagram clean of everything 49ers related. I think he deleted something upwards of like 60 or 70 posts from Instagram, I think it was reported. Um, so Debo was a, a huge, I uh, was a huge Debo fan in 2019 coming out. He's one of the first players that I really like studied and evaluated. And he's one of my favorite non-Jets, if not my favorite non-Jets player in the league currently. I love what the 49ers have done with him. Um, the chances of him getting traded obviously are very slim, but with that very slim, I will absolutely get my hopes up and pump every little trade for Debo Samuel, trade four and 10 overall. If you need to get Debo Samuel, I'm cool with it. So I'll be here with that little 0.1% hope that we could land a Debo Samuel, but yeah, every week, new wide receiver, new jets trade rumors. At this point, it seems like it's not going to happen. If it was going to happen, I feel like they would have, you know, made their offer and had a, a deal accepted and, completed not the Tyreek accepted but you know what I mean just we, we need to maybe move past it I think they're just throwing the Jets with every wide receiver rumor just whether it's to stir us up and get us excited or just because they think that we need to address the wide receiver position which we do so I think at this point we're getting so close to the draft if it's not going to happen now I don't know if it's going to happen maybe draft night they do something crazy but I, I think they're starting to key in on wide receiver early in this draft, whether it's 10 overall, 35 overall. So maybe another rumor will come out by the time we end this and I'll get my hopes back up. But I try to try to be a little bit more pump the brakes this time. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, uh, big fan of Debo Samuel, uh, same situation when his draft was rolling around. Uh, he was one of the, those prospects that I really hope the jets were, went after, um, and, you know, I'd love to have him on our team. I don't know what the contract would warrant or what kind of capital we would have to give. Uh, you know, clearly last year he showed that not only can he play wide receiver, but uh, he was very, very much involved in the running game. And there were times where he was, you know, lined up as a super back and things like that. So uh, versatility is not even giving him justice. Um, phenomenal player. Uh, but you know what? I'm in this mindset lately to where the Jets should need to build their own brand. They need to find a right. prospect in this draft that will become the next Debo Samuel that other teams will uh, covet and, uh, you know, flip the, you know, scenario uh, for, for a change. So uh, build your own brand is kind of the mentality that uh, – that I'm in with, you know, all these rumors and trades and everything like that. I mean, if it happens, clearly I'll probably be one of the first people to run out and buy a Debo Samuel jersey, but at the moment I'm working with what we got. And um, we're, I'm going to go into uh, some of the topics and um, just let the uh, listeners know 
uh, what we're going to provide them this evening. And uh, before I do that, uh, I'd just like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Mile Social, for all their support that they give Jet Nation. Uh, if you're a business owner and you're looking to improve your company's social media status, go to milesocial.com and get involved today. Uh, see how they can take your company to the next level. And you can find them at milesocial.com. All right, Dylan. So tonight's theme for this, this show is going to be our favorite prospects in the NFL draft. We're going to just – we had to work it down to five because I'm sure, you know, we could roll out a list of 10 or, 10 or 20 guys that we were really intrigued and excited about to be New York Jets, but we had to just mm-hmm. go with five. Um, we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive and explain why we feel like these players would be a good fit. And, uh, you know, we're going to work in our uh, caller when he comes in. They're going to have a little segment that they're going to do, which is going to add to tonight's show as well. So, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to that. But before we get into our top five favorite draft prospects, I'd like to talk about uh, what the Jets have been doing since the combine has rolled around. And I went to uh, WalterFootball.com. I go to this website every year during this time, and they seem to have the inside scoop on which NFL prospects go to visit or communicate with NFL teams. Uh, They do a really, really good job. They have these little acronyms out there that they put in. Um, they'll put a player and they'll put SR for senior bowl meeting. They'll put EW for the East West shrine meeting, um, com COM for the combine. And then they have others listed as pro for if the team went to go visit them on their pro day. Um, if they scheduled them for a private visit, they put a PRI on there. Um, WORs for a different type of private workout where members of the organization work out the player. Um, then they have VIR, which is a virtual meeting. So uh, really, really good nuggets here. Sometimes uh, a few of these players that go on this list end up being on the teams uh, when draft day rolls around. So I always like to talk about um, who the Jets are visiting or who they're getting their eyes and ears on. And uh, right now this list is about 23 players um, with different things. We're not going to go throughout the entire list. Dylan and I are going to kind of, you know, uh, pick and pluck um, different players that are of interest to us and that we've talked about on this show. Um, you know, the first one on the top of the list I think is a pretty good one. Uh, Traylon Burks was a, is a wide receiver from Arkansas. The Jets uh, had a meeting with him at the NFL Combine, and they also scheduled a private visit with him, and just so that you're aware, um, each team is permitted to have 30 private visits. So, out of all the players coming into the draft, it's uh, you know you have to pick and choose who you really want to see, and um, it's not like they're giving their hand away. But that one, you know, to me seems pretty interesting. Burks is definitely top five, maybe top ten for other people's lists um, as far as the wide receivers go in this class. Um, Big body receiver, 6'2", 6'3", 225, um, dealing with some injuries. So there's some flags there, but uh, nonetheless, very, very interesting prospect. And 
as we mentioned before, the Jets are definitely in the market to improve their wide receiver position. And, um, you know, we thought that was interesting. Now, number two was a player that I know has been on your radar, uh, Dylan, and that's Lewis Seen, safety from Georgia. Um, and he was in mm-hmm. for a private visit, so that was pretty cool. Um, any thoughts there about the Jets uh, maybe targeting a safety? I know, I think you had him pegged for maybe the second round, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so, I mean, the hope is that he can make it to the second round. There's been, I think, the the national media surrounding the draft has been a little bit more uh, up on the safety class as like opposed to like a month ago when all these safeties weren't technically considered first round guys. But unfortunately seen is, you know, looked at as a mid to late first round guy now, as well as another safety I'm going to highlight later. But yeah, if he's there at 35, I mean, there's tons of players that obviously there's 32 first round picks. So like somebody's going to have to fall and Lewis seen is top of my list of the quote unquote run to the podium type picks. He's a very good safety. They need to replace Marcus May. I understand they have Jordan Whitehead, but LaMarcus Joyner and Ashton Davis aren't very inspiring right now. So they definitely need another safety, and Lewisine would be a, a home run pick for sure. Definitely. Um, the way you're looking at it here, um, <clears throat> Whitehead's on a three-year deal. Uh, Joyner's got a one-year deal. Um, I believe we're going into year three with Ashton Davis. My guess is that there isn't much of a long-term uh, future for him at the Jets. Can clearly change, but after the last two years, haven't really seen too too much. Um, but going back to the list here, Nicobe Dean um, comes in at number three on this list. That was a combine visit. I know Glenn is very very um, gets very excited um, thinking about Nicobe Dean being a Jet. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, I came Aquanu private visit. Uh, he goes by Icky on the, uh, on the Twitter and uh, probably one of the best offensive tackles in this class. Don't know what that really means. If the Jets do go that route, puts us in a little bit of a conundrum with our tackle situation, but you know, you got to win in the trenches. So, you know, can uh, fault them if they want to improve their offensive line. Uh, number five on here, which is quite interesting. Um, and that Sauce Gardner, um, as everyone knows, I've been talking about this guy far too much, uh, but he did have a combine meeting and he had a private visit with the Jets. And I saw today on his Instagram that he was in New Jersey um, asking yep. for best food locations. So uh, possibly, you know, visiting the Jets, maybe the Giants, because the Giants are, uh, they have two picks within the top 10 as well. So, uh, we know, or at least I know from hearing from my friends and, and being in this area, uh, corner is definitely one of the positions that they're going to be looking at. Uh, so Sauce is probably on their their uh, radar as well. Uh, I'm just going to do a couple quick ones. Um, all top three edges, um, I should say four, um, Hutchinson, Jermaine Johnson, Caro Liftis. I butchered that one. Sorry, everyone. And then... Um, Kevon Thibodeau. So the Jets have brought in the top four defensive edge players. Uh, we have been leaning on that, believing that that's one of the targets that they're possibly going to be looking at at the four, the 10 spot in the first round. So that was quite interesting. Um, 
number nine on this list, uh, one of the sleepers that I had that I didn't really come to see him until uh, the combine, and that's Isaiah Likely, Coastal Carolina prospect. Uh, that could be one of those round four and possibly round five tight end sleepers. Um, just, you know, something to keep uh, eyes and ears on. A couple more offensive linemen, Tyler Linderbaum, Evan, um, Evan Neal. Um, it was interesting how Walter Football has him listed as a guard. I know that he played tackle, but possibly uh, I did notice first of all to be inside and out. Um, mm-hmm. And that is quite interesting there. Um, any of the players that I mentioned um, pique your interest there, uh, Dylan? Yeah, definitely. I mean, all the edge pique my interest, including Karloftis. I mean, he's not necessarily somebody that I covet at the 10th overall pick. I see him more as a late first-round pick from Purdue. But uh, I definitely like all these edge guys that they've had a, a meeting with. Um, Jermaine Johnson kind of made some small waves in the Jets community on Twitter because while at his meeting – he decided to tweet, and his location was on, and it was Florham Park, and he tweeted, I don't need to talk. My tape does that and will continue to. Whoever drafts me, let's fall. A hundred emoji. And I think it really sent Twitter into a frenzy trying to, you know, decipher the cryptic message. And being the fact that it is the Jets, everybody's going to come at it from all angles. Jets fans are amazing at being like, little investigators. I see the, the craziest things come from Jets Twitter as far as inside scoops. But some were saying that Salah humbled him and that we're not going to take him. And others said that he's a for sure pick at four. And me, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm like, I think he's just confident. And maybe the meeting went well to him in a, in a, in a way that he felt he needed to just tweet that out. Like, hey, my tape is my tape and what I've put out there is strong enough to be in consideration for these top edge players. And I honestly would draft him ahead of a Trayvon Walker from Georgia, who is getting buzzed for the second, if not the first overall pick. So to me, I kind of saw it in in more of a positive light, but Jermaine Johnson's definitely making small waves with the Jets fans. And I think a lot of them are, already on board with him at four, which is a great thing, but I would hope that maybe he could slide to 10 if they don't go too quickly. I'm not exactly sure, but Jermaine Johnson somebody that I do like a lot. Right on. Me as well. And, um, yeah, you mentioned Trayvon Walker. He's also on this list, and he was brought in for a private visit. So the Jets mm-hmm. are doing a lot of research um, with the edge position and the fact that Um, every single edge player that we have mentioned thus far um, has had some sort of a workout with the Jets, almost tips their hand a little bit here if we're trying to connect some dots here, um, that they're Mm -hmm. really, really focusing uh, on that that pass rush. So, uh, you know, that that could be very, very interesting. Uh, You know, the crypticness from the Jermaine Johnson situation reminds me a lot of how Jamal Adams, when he came away, um, from his interview, and, uh, you know, they said, why are you even here? You know, kind of almost being a little bit sarcastic because we anticipate you to be gone by the time we're going to be drafting. And uh, right. I remember as the draft went down and the Jets came up and they kind of went over to uh, his table and he was saying, it, I'm going to be a Jet. And they were saying, how do you know? And he goes, because they told me that if I was still there, they were going to take me. 
And uh, that's kind of how it played out. So, you know, everybody has their different opinion on um, who who's going to be there and who's going to do this, that. But, uh, yeah, I find it very, very interesting that, you know, there was some cryptic stuff going out there. And who's to say that, um, you know, maybe they asked him some tough questions and they said, you know, why do, why do you think we should draft you? And they tried to, you know, poke and prod the players to see what kind of reactions that they're going to get. Because if you're going to come to New York and you can't handle tough questions when you're in front of our media, regardless of what your talent level is, you'll get chewed up. And, uh, you know, we've seen that happen plenty of times over. But uh, moving back to our list here, um, I'm going to bunch these guys together. There was four Ohio State players that um, were brought in. Now, let's see here. We got Garrett Wilson, uh, Chris Olave, and uh, you have Jeremy Rucker. Those are the three that I see here. I know that there's a fourth one somewhere um, from Ohio State, but uh, they brought them in for visits. And that's interesting because, you know, they have to focus on getting more talent um, on the offensive side with Zach Wilson. So, you know, I'm not going to complain if any of these kids become, uh, you know, Jets. And uh, let's see here. What else do we got here? Jameson Williams. I know that that's someone that we've talked about. Um, and a lot of people oh, yeah. uh, want the Jets to run run that pick up at, at pick number 10 and, that could possibly be the first wide receiver that comes off the board. Um, and he was brought in for a private visit, so that's pretty exciting there too. I mean, Jets really have a lot of options when it comes to that number four and number ten pick. Uh, they could be balanced and go offense and defense, or, you know, possibly they they push in on one side of the ball and double down and, and turn it into, uh, you know, something a little crazy. So definitely very excited. Um, one that I thought was pretty odd was Malik Willis. That was a combine interview meeting, so no personal work out there. Um, maybe mm-hmm. just doing their diligence to, you know, see what the young man has to offer, but I cannot see Malik Willis coming in to be a New York Jet. Um, yeah, that definitely surprised me, too. I was I was confused. Yeah. I, had to, I had to double take. I'm like, is that – this is the Jets list of visits? But then I looked and I thought about it. I was like, I wonder if they even asked him – if he thinks he'll be there at four overall, because some outlets have Malik Willis, you know, gaining steam to be the number two overall pick to the Detroit Lions. And I'm personally a fan of that move. I think Malik Willis is a better quarterback than as a prospect, let's say as like Trey Lance. So if Trey Lance can go Mm -hmm. three overall, why can't Malik Willis? I understand it's not a huge QB class, but if you're going to look at those two prospects in the same light, why not put Malik Willis in the top three? So that's something that I think Jets fans should really keep an eye on because if Malik Willis goes at two, a lot of things will happen to alter the draft, even at four overall, because somebody could jump up to three to take the second quarterback or however to get in front of Carolina. So if any quarterback yep. goes before the, Jets, before the Jets pick at four, I think it would just be a curveball that <clears throat> excuse me, would really, really help the Jets. Yeah, and, you know, just looking at, at this list in, as a whole, you know, uh, out of the 23 players that are documented here, um, let me just do a quick count here. You got Traylon Burks, <clears throat> Chris Olave, I see Jameson Williams, I see Garrett Wilson. Um, mm-hmm. 
So four looks like wide that's receivers. Four. So four wide receivers that they've brought in. They've brought in five edge players. <clears throat> they've brought in a few offensive linemen. Um, you know, like some five offensive linemen. Tyler. Yep. yep. So, you know, there there's a little bit of a theme here. They're looking at the offensive line. They're taking a look at uh, a few corners, not too many. D- Derek Stingley's on here. They have Sauce mm-hmm. on here. Um, Lewis. So, you know, we're anticipating them to kind of make a big splash at the defensive end position or defensive back position. And uh, right now with everybody that they've brought in for interviews or workouts, um, they've kind of bunched them into the same thing. Not seeing a lot of linebackers on this list and Mm -hmm. uh, not seeing a lot of defensive tackles, which is – Maybe uh, you know quite refreshing because that I think that that would probably be the biggest <laughs> fear for the Jets fan is you know the Jets the Jets go out and get like Jordan Davis the monster defensive tackle from Georgia I think he's going to be a great player don't get me wrong but I just feel like we've got enough big boys right. in the defensive line right now we don't need to add another into the mix here with what we got going on and uh, yeah I was quite interesting how I was there glad was only to see... a couple tight ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was glad to see, back to the defensive tackles, I was glad to see Perry on Winfrey at the bottom of this list. Uh, Devontae Wyatt, I don't think, will be a realistic radar like t- target for the Jets. But Perry on Winfrey is somebody that I really think the Jets could, you know, try to try to target early, even if they traded back from one of their second-round picks and got a pick in, like, the 40s or 50s range, because I think 38 might be a little too rich for Perry on Winfrey, but somebody they coached at the Senior Bowl, so... Uh, when, it, when it comes to those players specifically, I think that they might potentially be overdrafted per se by the Jets because they've already got that base level of familiarity. So Perrion Winfrey was somebody that I definitely liked out of the defensive tackle visit group. And then the other one that I wanted to point out real quick was Pierre Strong, the running back from South Dakota State, because all these names yep. that we've been rattling off are like first or second round names. And Pierre Strong hasn't really been – mentioned at all as like a day two prospect really maybe he slides into the the third round discussion but this is a running back Mm -hmm. from South Dakota State he's 5'11 he ran a 4'3'7'40 which I believe was tied for the fastest or the second fastest of all the running backs he had a 36 inch vertical which I only see one that's higher than his right there so a top three running back uh, vertical jump and a broad of 10.33, which, again, on my list looks like another top five grade. So he didn't do all the drills. I don't believe uh, I have his pro day numbers in front of me, but Pierre Strong, definitely a day three guy that they can add to this backfield with Michael Carter, Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, Austin Walter. I think Pierre Strong would fit in really well and probably be the running back two, in all honesty, in that group. So definitely a name to keep an eye on from the running back position. Right on. Yeah, I did notice that there was not a lot of running backs on this list, and and I'll be honest, I'm uh, mm-hmm. a little disappointed. And hopefully, uh, Joe Douglas surprises me because uh, you know I got a soft spot in my heart for for the running backs, and every year I seem to think they're going to use a premium pick um, on the running back position. And you know what? It's perfectly fine. I get how that whole position group goes, and uh, you know I just got to get over myself at this point. But, um, all right, this is a, a great way to kind of wrap up our uh, visit list for the Jets. We just went through that, and we do have a caller on the line here. This was our special guest for the evening. So, 
Um, let's get them on the board. Mr. Glenn Naughton, you are live on Jet Nation Radio. How we doing, guys? Hey, there he is. So there it is, folks. Glenn Naughton in the flesh, back on Jet Nation Radio. Um, we we uh, kind of teased our fan, uh, the listeners a little bit and told them we had a special caller coming in. We didn't tell them it was you, Glenn, but uh, glad to have you on the air yet again. And uh, Dylan and I were just reviewing um, the visits from Walter Football uh, website. And, uh, yeah, it was a, kind of an interesting group. Um, you know, we'll, I'll email it to you uh, later tonight so you can take a look at it as well. Um, but, yeah, a lot of edge players on this group, Glenn, a lot of offensive linemen from defensive ends, uh, a handful of wide receivers, not too many running backs and not too many defensive tackles. And, um, you know, we just kind of thought that that was interesting. It's not always science to where, you know, who the Jets bring in for a visit is who they're going to target on draft day. But every now and again, you do see a few players come off that list, uh, you know, get selected. So we, we want to take some time just to review that real quick. But more importantly, you have something to share with us. So I'm going to toss the ball over to you, Glenn. And uh, why don't you let the listeners know what you have in store? Um, well, yeah, just wanted to uh, to talk some draft with you guys. It's been uh, it's been hard coordinating schedules to get on the show, and um, I know that you know for me, it, I've I don't think I've ever watched as much film or as many games as I have leading up to the draft as I have this year, and um, I'm I'm just excited for this thing. You know, I'm I'm at the point, and I think a lot of us are, where you know we're, we're kind of mock drafted out, and where you know every single possible scenario has been pitched and. One that I actually thought of earlier today, though, that I haven't really seen, and, you know, I try to keep it realistic because you see people like, oh, we'll trade down from here and we'll trade down from here and then we'll trade down mm-hmm. again and then we'll have 17 picks, and it's like, you know, it's it's, it's just not going to happen. But I was thinking earlier, you know, a, a lot of people have said, should the Jets trade down from 4 or 10 with a team like Philly or New Orleans and try to add a couple of two, you know, add add two ones or get two ones for one? And um and I'm thinking if they did that, would they then entertain the thought of moving up to the bottom of round one with 35 or 38 and another pick? I mean, coming away with with one or two more firsts, I don't think is um is all that crazy. But I know for me personally that you know I don't I've I've been saying for some time now I don't see them picking at four and ten. I think one of those picks gets moved. It's just a matter of which one it is, and I, I don't know where you guys stand with that and if you think they should definitely pick at 4 and 10 or how flexible you would be with them moving down. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the for thing, me personally, go for it, uh, I was, I was going to say, for me personally, 4 I think is the pick where if you get the King's Ransom, you can move out of it. If somebody's offering you future ones, like you mentioned, for a quarterback or to come up from a bigger – gap of picks per se, like a late teens pick instead of, you know, coming up from 11 because they have to bridge that gap of 15 picks. So four overall, I think would be the King's ransom for me to trade out. I'm very open to trading out of 10, even if you go back just 14 to Baltimore, 15 to Philly, 16 to New Orleans. I think those are all great options. And yeah, even if you do trade out of 10 and acquire more picks, yes, please come up from 35 or 38 
and jump back into the first round to get somebody that even if they're sliding in the first, they might not slide all the way to 35. So I'm all for multiple trade scenarios. I could see a trade back and then a trade up. I don't necessarily think we see them stay at four, stay at 10, and then trade up, which is my dream scenario, and have three first-round picks in the top 16. I don't think it's necessarily the best strategy, but I, I would love it. So, yeah, I definitely think move back from 10 would be my bet. Four, you got to hold firm unless somebody's given you a lot to come up for potentially what you would think is a quarterback. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, for, for me, I, I would have to go with taking those two second-round picks and trying to get back into the first round and come away with three first-round picks. Um, if there's someone on their radar that just continues to keep sliding, uh, you know, make a move and, and get aggressive and go after it. As much as I like having, you know, four rookies within the first 40 picks, um, having three blue-chip players, uh, you know, that could propel this team even further, um, that's something that I would absolutely want to get involved in. Uh, for Glenn, you got um, to think, Alex. I mean, depending on who's, you know, trade. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go, go right ahead. Oh, I was going to say, depending on whose, you know, draft value chart you're looking at, you wouldn't necessarily have to give up 35 and 38 to get back up. Like, you know, say hypothetically, right. let's say the Jets want to get to Tennessee at 26. They want to swap for that pick. Um, pick 35 is 550, and Tennessee that Tennessee pick is 700. So, you know, you're not giving up – if you give up both of those twos, you're giving up 1,070. So if you, you're probably getting another pick back, um, you know, or maybe a couple of, of sort of day three picks. But I think you could look at it if you're the Jets and say, you know, we'll give you, you know, 35 and and 111, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And you know, and that can get you maybe, maybe the Green Bay at 28 or something like that where you're – kind of close on points um i think the overpays you know as you said and if if a team is trading up at four to get a quarterback that's when you can really get a team to overpay um but if you can get back into that first round with a team that's willing to move down like a green bay like a i mean kansas city now kansas city sitting at 29 and 30 so they might be happy to deal one of those two um like i said Mm -hmm. again moving up not just getting another first rounder but you're getting another player who has that 50-year option which you know, honestly, nowadays, if the, the way guys are demanding deals, if they play well, that 50-year option is starting to mean less and less, it seems. Yeah, I'm sure the Niners would like that with uh, Debo Samuel currently. Exactly, exactly. So, it's I'm tough. not sure it's if you tough. had another so question. Glenn, yeah, I, I wanted to, to see, um, Glenn, did you prepare yeah. a mock for the show tonight? Uh, no, I didn't, guys. I thought I thought we were just talking prospects. I'm sorry. No, that's cool. That's cool. No, no, you're gonna fine. Ask you, I was going to ask you something before you even revealed it, if you had one, was I don't know if you read Alex and I's mock from two weeks ago, the two-round mock that we did, but I doubled up in the first round and took two offense and then doubled up in the second round and took two defense, where Alex went defense with the first three picks and then offense with 38th overall. And I was wondering if you were to structure your draft right now, just the first two rounds, would you do more of a balanced approach or do you think they need to look more one side of the ball and would maybe take more of one side than the other? How would you take those four picks? 
Well, it's funny because, you know, obviously, you know, goes without saying, you know, who's there, right? Obviously, that, that's no matter what scenario you're right. looking at, yeah. it's who's on the board. But, you know, for the purpose of your question, um, I'm, I'm really torn because I've said for a while now that I would go heavy defense early. Um, you know, maybe maybe three of the first four or five picks I'd go defense um, if the players are there. But, the, you know, the thing I run into when I do these mocks, not, like I tend to stick with TDN. I feel like PFF and PFN, like, a lot of their – like, I see, you know, Jermaine Johnson ranked, like, 23rd, 24th. I'm like, he's not the 24th best player. He's going to go probably in the top 12 or 13. Um, So those, I feel like maybe they don't update them as often, whereas TDN's rankings change frequently enough. I feel like they're more on top of it. Um, You know, no board is perfect, of course. But when I – you know, when I do the TDNs, a lot of the the best value tends to be on offense, at least when I've run my mocks. So I, sometimes I end up splitting it and going like two offense, two defense, even though I go into it thinking I want to get three impact defensive players early because of how bad this team was on defense last year. And, you know, and I, I've said, you know, I, 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 I do my best to drop an episode a week of the, the morning Jet Nation that I do. doesn't always happen that way. But one of the points I've made that I've, I've brought up a couple of times, I, I feel like fans, a lot of fans, when they talk about building around Zach Wilson – they're talk about it, they talk about it as if that process hasn't already started. You know, I get the questions with Makai mm-hmm. Beckton. We've been over that a million times. But you drafted Makai Beckton. You drafted Elijah Vera Tucker. You added Elijah Moore. You added Corey Davis. You've signed two tight ends. You've added Lakin Tomlinson. I mean, there's, there's stuff in place now. This isn't a bare-bones roster that you had a couple of years ago. The point I've made is, I feel like at wide receiver, people talk about this team as if it's a few years ago where Robbie Anderson is the only guy in the, uh, worth throwing the ball to. You've got Elijah Moore, who, as we, you know, we've said a million times, look at what he did, not just looking at the film where he was just wide open and not getting the ball all year. Look at his production when he had veteran quarterbacks. With, with Flacco, with Josh Johnson, his numbers extrapolated out to 1,300 yards. Like He was a monster when he had veteran quarterbacks who made quick decisions and delivered the ball when he was open. He didn't have that with Zach Wilson. So if Zach Wilson makes that leap, Elijah Moore, is to me, he's a wide receiver one. Corey Davis is fine. Braxton Berrios is in a world beater, but he's a good player. With Michael Carter in the backfield and this rebuilt offensive line and two tight ends who can catch the ball and block these are versatile guys who don't have to come off the field, like there is something there now to where you don't need another lineman in, you know, early on. You don't need another wide receiver you know, in the top ten. There are, some, there are some guys there, and there's so much value. I've made this point a million times. You know, every time I hear Daniel Jeremiah say it, I tend to tweet it out. You know, he has said many times over, you know, of, in a variety of different ways, basically for the next many, many years, you're going to be able to get wide receivers up and down the draft. Like, that's where the best athletes are going. That's only going to get – that's only going to increase now with receivers mm-hmm. getting $30 million a year. Like, you're going to be able to get a guy like a Christian Watson. I, You know, one guy, Dylan, I know you're not very high on Alec Pierce. I happen to be really high on him. I know you're not a huge fan. Mm-hmm. I don't think you hate the guy. I just don't think yeah. you're as high on him as I am. But whether it's a Wandale Robinson and Alec Pierce, um, you know, it, if, if Christian Watson falls, if – um, you know, Jahan Dotson, if he falls to the second round, like, and even in the third round, Kyle Phillips, like, you don't, you're not 
dying for a guy to catch a, a, a pass catcher right now. You, it's not the cupboard isn't bare anymore. You've got you know three, four, five guys who are really good, and yes, you should be adding to that. But when I you know I, I couldn't disagree more when I like oh they you know we need to didn't I think Mel Kiper mocked a receiver to them at four. Like I don't know what these yep. people are thinking. I'm I'm struggling with the thought of a receiver at ten. Um, four is I think my head would explode, but you know, and it, I feel like if you're gonna take one at ten, even though I don't want one there, if you're going to do that, just take Jamison Williams, just just take the best guy then. If you're gonna use it, right? He's gonna miss the first half of the season. Big deal. You'll get by. You're not winning the damn Super Bowl anyway. So let him let him take the time he needs to heal, and you've got him on the on the roster, and and go from there. But you know. I, I personally, I would look to go defense, defense early on. Um, but as I as I tweeted out the other day, having just done a video a few days ago saying the Jets are absolutely not taking an offensive lineman in the top ten, I go back and I'm watching South Carolina. I see I kept a Kwan Wu, and I'm like, damn it, I want that guy on this roster. Like I want that guy to be a Jet so bad. But I just I'm just trying to take the logical approach and say. You 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 don't have the luxury of drafting a guy in the top ten who is not a day one starter. So unless you're trading George Fant or Mackay Becton, as crazy as that sounds, unless you have a plan to move one of those guys, I don't see how you take a tackle early on, and and you know and dress, address the O line again. So a the very long answer to your short question was I I would prefer a lot of defense early on, but as we always say, it depends on how the board falls. All right, so if I were to make a hypothetical board and I tweeted this out and I put a poll up and it's still going for the next couple of days, if, if this is the hypothetical and picks one, two, and three are edge rushers, or, yeah, edge rushers, specifically edge rushers, where do you go at four? Do you take the fourth best edge rusher or do you then start looking at that value on offense like you were talking about and does it kind of sway you a little bit more or are you comfortable saying, hey, edge four, whoever it is, that's our guy, and let's run. Yeah, that is a tough one because you know if seeing if if it went edge top three, I mean that would be that would be pretty shocking. Um, right. And the 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 one part of you says, do you want the fourth best edge rusher? You, you know, in that spot, you probably don't. But at the same time, if they're going that quickly and you don't grab one, three more might go before you pick at ten. And now you're either getting mm-hmm. the seventh or eighth best edge rusher or no edge rusher. Um, I don't think that many will go that early. I think we will see a bunch of guys going round one. I think um, the two guys I'm looking at that, you know, there's part of me that feels like they could drop to early round two, but these are the guys I have in mind when I think, do you trade up to that, you know, the, like I said, that Tennessee pick, that Tampa pick. Um, the guy you profiled the other day, boy, Mafe out of Minnesota. And, yep. um, and one of my favorite guys in this class, uh, Arnold Ebicati, out of Penn State. Like these guys, I think will be effective mm-hmm. edge rushers, and they, I think they're going to be those sort of middle later round, for, uh, you know, round one guys. So that honestly, that would scare the hell out of me if three edge guys went top three, because then you look, you take like I like George Karlaftis. I think he's a guy that people have kind of forgotten about. Um, it, it feels like every year, like a couple of guys just just fall or disappear, um, whether it's, you know, I, I don't know if you can even really, because, again, it's all hypothetical. Nobody has fallen yet. But, you know, you hear, like, Chris Sims say, 
that that he he doesn't think Kayvon Thibodeau goes in the top ten. This guy was a consensus first round pick. Now and then then you've got George Karlaftis, who was a consensus top ten pick up until a couple of months ago, and now you don't even hear his name. I don't know where people right. are projecting him now. I think he's like yep. people are viewing him as like bottom of the first, top of the second round. Whereas I'd be fine with the Jets. You know, he's the type of guy if you move down and you want to grab him at fifteen or whatever sixteen. I'd be fine with that. But you have to come away with at least one edge in those top four picks. I wouldn't have a problem with two because, listen, as I said the other day on, on my on my uh, my YouTube, th- these guys, the Jets have Carl Lawson, and that's it, and all he is is a big question mark. I'm not comfortable saying, well, let's draft one edge guy and then we're good. No, we're not. Like, you need multiples, and right now right. I wouldn't even say you have one. you got a half. Let's, let's call Carl Lawson half an edge rusher because you have no idea what you're getting from him. Um, so I would take a guy like Ebicady later, and early on I would take a Jermaine Johnson at the top of the, at the, top of the first round. Um, you know, Trevon Walker, that, those are some interesting numbers that you shared the other day, Dylan, on his win rate. Um, and, and a lot of that is, you know, I'd love to see how they come up with that. You know, are they, are they talking like are you beating the guy within a given time? It does it, you know, like what factors impact that? Because when I've watched him, I thought he looked fantastic. Obviously, the measurables at the combine were off the charts, and you know his his production, his numbers. I think you know we've all heard people say it, and you kind of watch that defense. They everybody was three and out against them. Nobody could move the ball, so it's not as if you had five or six shots to get the quarterback on a drive because he kept dropping back. Like they were three and out. So if you didn't get if you didn't you know get a sack and within three or four plays you were back on the sidelines because that defense was that good. So you know, kind of a that, that's sort of where the individual player suffers from a production standpoint when you've got seven or eight NFL caliber guys on your roster because there's only so many stats to go around. Um, so it, it would scare the hell out of me if the top three were all edge, but I would I would take an edge guy at four because I just feel like you have to. I feel like that's the direction they're going to go, and mm-hmm. and I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, they almost have to force it at this point. So I'm. I'm pretty much there with you too it's got to be edge or bust and they got to do it very soon in the draft yeah they they can't wait too long they can't sit around and like i said even though you might mm-hmm. get a guy at 35 or 38 um or or trade up i think that would be a another good situation because there's there's a lot of good i think one um i don't know if you saw daniel jeremiah tweeted out the other day uh you know he's racked and stacked his final guys and said uh there are 20 edge guys that he likes in this class. Um, wow. And, and I, you know, I know we've, we've all said it's a deep class. I, you know, I think 20 is even deeper than I, than I kind of anticipated. But I know there are probably 13 or 14 guys that I've watched. Um, you know, Kingsley and Igbari at uh, South Carolina is a guy who, who I don't think gets talked about enough. And boy, my fate. Now, Dylan, mm-hmm. do you think here's – my, here's my question to both of you guys, Alex and Dylan – um, mm-hmm. Do you think Mafe can play on the end in a four-three? Because we saw him do it a little bit at the Senior Bowl, and I think it was—I think it was the draft dudes. The, the, that's a great pod, dude. Draft pod. Um, yep. There with TDN. Um, they were saying the other day that if you look at the way Mafe played under for the Jets at the Senior Bowl, like the Jets just turned him loose. They just said, you know, put your hand in the dirt and get after the quarterback, and he looked really good doing it. So all the talk about, oh, he's got to go to a 3-4 defense, you know, team that runs a 3-4, he's not a hand-in-the-dirt guy. And it could just be sometimes we see guys, they don't get used in a spot where they could be productive. 
Yeah, I'm, and it's actually funny you brought up Daniel Jeremiah because I was listening to Move the Sticks, and he was talking about read versus attack defenses and how reading is more like stacking and shedding a blocker and reading the gaps to find where the running lanes are. Where yeah, that was it. That was the episode. It, it, it wasn't Draft Network. Yep. It was that episode. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Versus the attack, which is just, hey, let me let me go. And that's exactly what Solid does. And we saw it at the Senior Bowl. I, I saw it firsthand, even in the rain. Like, these guys were turning the corner. And then you put on their college tape, and you're like, oh, well, they didn't really do that too much in college. And is it something that they were learning to do in the pre-draft process? I personally think it's more like they could do it, but they just weren't asked to do it. Um, I think Mafe is a perfect, like, 4-3 defensive end. Sure, you could probably put him in a 3-4 as, like, a stand-up outside linebacker, but he weighs 261, so even if he added, like, 7 pounds and got up to 268, I think with his explosiveness, he could play hand in the dirt and really pop out of his stance. So, yeah, I know a lot of networks like the outlets go back and forth on 4-3 versus 3-4. Me, I kind of bring it down to just weight. How much do they weigh? I know the combine, they weigh less than they're going to play in the season because they're trying to run faster so if Mafe was 261 at the combine he bumps up to like 266 268 I think he's a perfect you know fit physically for the 4-3 defensive end and what are your thoughts Alex did we lose him oh sorry about that guys I um I put myself on mute because I was just uh looking up some information while you guys were going through uh your segments there Uh, To answer your question on Mafe, you know, he he seems versatile enough to where 3-4-4-3 doesn't really matter. Um, You know, can't really get too nitpicky with uh, some of these guys. And, you know, everything that he showed from his week um, at the Senior Bowl, um, you know, he has what it takes to to be an effective pass rusher at the NFL level. So, uh, you know, for me, if, if that's going to be one of our guys that we target at 35 or 38, I think Sala will find the best way to, uh, you know, get him to be one of our, you know, I don't know if he's speed or power, maybe he's a blend of both, but, you know, with what we have in-house right now, you throw him into the mix, and I think you really, really have uh, quite a nasty bunch, uh, you know, to get after the quarterback with. But, um, yeah, I felt like I was watching him last to, week. Uh, um, I watched a few five. Minnesota games, and he was just one of those. Oh, you, you, go ahead, Dylan. Oh no, I didn't say anything. I think it was Alex. Um, oh, sorry, yeah, Alex. Just... I thought you were done. Yeah, I just wanted to see if you guys wanted to go through, um, you know, our top five favorite prospects, um, you know, that we're looking at at the for the NFL draft. Yeah, did you guys want to do top five overall, or are we going position by position? Oh, we were just doing top five. over. It doesn't even have to be, you know, top five overall, just your favorites, however you stacked them. Just just five so, guys you want to talk about, basically. Yeah, ba- basically five guys you want to talk about, exactly. So I'll, I'll kick it off, give you some time to plan, give Alex some time to sure, finish up ahead. what he's doing. So I'll start it off. My first guy, I tried to pick five guys that I haven't really talked about a ton, I didn't really do well in that aspect. So my top guy, and this is my number one favorite guy in the draft. Like, hands down, he is my draft crush. Usually it's a wide receiver every year. This year it's a defensive player. It's Daxton Hill. I'm going to say he's a safety for Michigan, but I think he truly could play any defensive back position, especially on the Jets. 
I think DJ Reed is the only, and Jordan Whitehead, let's say, are the only two lock starters on paper right now. There's competitions everywhere else. And truly, I think Daxton Hill could take Lamarcus Joyner's job. I think he could take Eccles or Hall's job. And I think he could take Michael Carter the second's job in the slot, even though Michael Carter the second was a really good spot player. I truly think he could be the, the most versatile defensive back. And I know that's not Robert Sala's MO is to take a player and say, hey, now go do X, Y, and Z for the team. They want to put him in one role, have him on repeat. And I think whatever role that is for Daxton Hill, he is going to fulfill that role to the utmost potential. There's, you know, rumors he's going in the first round. There's rumors that he's going to be the first safety off the board over Kyle Hamilton. So I don't know how high teams have him on their boards, but I feel like when I have him in my top 15 players, I'm definitely not high enough. So Jackson Hill is my favorite player. What do you got, Alex? Yeah, so for my number five um, on my list, I'm going with Kenyon Green um, from Texas A&M. He a uh, versatile offensive lineman that can play both guard positions. He also got some time at right tackle. <clears throat> uh, so as far as, you know, a plug-and-play kind of guy, you know, right now our offensive line is all but set, but there are some guys on our team that – uh, will probably not be on the roster next year and down the line. So I figure if you can find the Kenyon Green, uh, I think he's got first-round talent, to be honest with you, but a lot of these interior mm-hmm. guys do tend to slide come draft day. So if the Jets have the opportunity to bring in another guy for the trenches, I'd love to see Kenyon Green join the mix. All right, so uh... – I'll jump, I'll jump on board here, and I'll start on the defensive side of the ball. I know we've talked at length about, you know, how much we, we've enjoyed liking this class because it really is an interesting class. I feel like there are at least a dozen linebackers I'd be more than happy to have on this roster, but uh, one of my favorite guys, Troy Anderson, Montana State. Um, I haven't mm-hmm. heard anyone talk about him who doesn't say they like the guy. Just, I, you know, I'm guilty of it sometimes, too. I know we all – throw around the term athletic freak too often, but I mean, this guy is just the stuff he did in college from playing running back to playing quarterback to moving to linebacker and playing at a, you know, a, a prospect, a draftable uh, prospect level at that position. Um, you know, ran the, I believe he had the fastest 40 of any linebacker at the combine. The guy weighs 230. It's not like he's a little 210 pound guy. So Troy Anderson to me, if you can get him to, to – I mean, he's so raw at the position. He's only played it for a couple of years. But, you know, we, we talk about – and you just mentioned, Dylan, you know, the, the, the fact that the Jets like to attack. I mean, if you want to attack, give me a, a 230-pound guy who's one of the fastest players on the field. And I would, I would love to see Troy Anderson as a Jet. But, like I said, there's probably a dozen linebackers um, that I would love to see the Jets grab in this class. And, in fact, in my top five, there will be another one. But, but he'd be my number five. Yeah, I think the uh, the second most important part of the solid defense is just the front four rushing, but then speed at the second level with the linebackers to cover sideline to sideline because they are asked to do a lot. And I know the Jets don't think of it as a need as much as fans do, but I'm right there with you that linebacker needs to be upgraded and Troy Anderson would probably be a perfect fit. My, my second favorite here, I made another first-round guy I don't have any other first-round guys. I went a little more off the radar with my last three. So my, my second guy is Tyler Linderbaum, center from Iowa. Uh, I think if you just went off the tape alone, 
Linderbaum's a top 10 guy. He probably wouldn't even be there if the Jets, when the Jets picked at 10, if you were going strictly off the tape. Uh, scheme, obviously, is an issue for him. Most teams aren't even going to draft him because of his size. I don't know if there's a, even a scenario where teams kick him into guard and try him out there. I think he's a, a true center only, which will hurt his value. Uh, he's another one of those dream scenario, slip to 35 and run to the podium type players. PFF tweeted out a, a pro day, his pro day numbers and his percentiles. Uh, his 4.9840 was a 96th percentile, a 7.143 cone, which was the 100th percentile. And this is historically amongst interior offensive linemen. Uh, 92nd percentile in the vertical and 93rd percentile in the broad jump. So you put elite tape with elite testing. And I think if you run a scheme that fits Tyler Linderbaum, like the Jets, the 49ers, the Dolphins, I think Tyler Linderbaum should be up on top of your list. And maybe they do trade up for a Linderbaum if he slips. But he's one of those guys to me that I couldn't move him out of my top 10 when I watched him on tape. All right, so my number four on my list here, Brees Hall, Iowa running back. Uh, I think he's RB1 in this class. Um, you know, I don't understand mm. everyone has their different perspectives here. But you look at a guy in three years that uh, almost had 4,000 all-purpose yards, 50 touchdowns, versatility with 82 receptions, 734 yards in um, as a pass catcher with uh, six receiving touchdowns, so 56 total touchdowns in three seasons. Um, You know, if you were in my scenario here, he would be probably an early pick that the Jets would go for to match up with Michael Carter. I understand there's a lot of people that um, are a little bit off when it comes to uh, going after the running back position, but, uh, you know, for me, um, I think this would be a really, really great asset to our offense. Back to you, Glenn. Yeah, um, I like, you know, the, the top backs in this class. I, I like Brees Hall a lot. Um, Kenneth Walker, of course, out of Michigan State. Isaiah Spiller, you know, again, there's some really good players to be had here. But uh, I'm going to go with another back who's going to go a little bit later. I think he's just a perfect fit, patient runner, stays behind his pads, waits waits for his for his offensive lineman to set up, set up their blocks, does a really nice job accelerating once he sees the hole. Um, and like I said, I think he'll go a little bit later. And I just, I just watch him play, and I think what, what a perfect scheme fit for this system. And that's uh, Tyler Beatty out of Missouri. Not a not a big power guy, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a guy who's, who's he's going to make big plays. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. Um, from what I've seen as a blocker, he does a nice job there. So just sort of a, a good all-around guy who, who he just reminds me of the that backfield the Niners had a few years ago when they went to the Super Bowl, when they had, you know, when when, when Sala and LaFleur were on that staff, I feel like he would have fit, fit in right, you know, right there. And this isn't to say I don't, like, I would love a Brees Hall or a Walker or somebody like that in that, you know, in that second, third round. But I don't think, I, I think if they do take a back, I think they will take a back. Um, I would think it's going to be more in the third round range, and I think that's where Tyler Beatty might go. So uh, he's one of my top guys, and I'm and I'm trying to do the same thing, Dylan. I'm I'm trying not to just go with five, you know, elite top talents that we that we and that you guys and myself have talked about, you know, ad nauseum. I'm trying to pick some guys here who I really like, who who aren't getting enough talk, enough uh, 
in the conversation often enough, really. Yep, and because uh, I know that, you know, you talk about the same prospect over and over and over again, it starts getting stale. So, you know, we always try to speak yeah. up. But Beatty is another senior bowl guy that I actually watched his tape in the hotel room in Mobile with my crappy hotel Wi-Fi, and I came away impressed. I thought I was like, wow, I didn't expect to see – I had no idea who he was until that day at practice, and I was like, oh, Tyler Beatty, Missouri, okay, yeah. let's look. And he, he's really doing some work in the SEC, so I like him 5'8", but he runs a 4'4'5". So I think that small, quick, dynamic back, I think he would work well. Um, my number three guy is a wide receiver. Uh, I've talked about him a little bit. He was a senior bowl guy, so I had to talk about him a good, a good amount when I was there. And that's Bo Melton from uh, wider, uh, Rutgers. So – like I said, right. senior bowl player, he was, he's going to be a con- contributor on special teams from day one, whether it's gunner, return, truly anything you ask him to do special teams-wise, he will, he will do it. And then he was going to give you quality sw- slot receiver depth. I know the Jets re-signed Braxton Berrios, and up until that point, I was pounding the table like, hey, this guy will be a quality slot receiver. He was cutting people up at practice. So – I don't know exactly where people have him projected. I'd say maybe a late third, early fourth round pick. So, like, maybe pick 111, 117. We could try to take a swing at a wide receiver. I know everybody wants one early, but Glenn did a great job of talking about all the mid-round receivers that you can get outside of round one. And I think Bo Melton slides right in there for me as not only my type of guy as a small, shifty, mover, shaker type of wide receiver, but he's somebody that, one local too. The the Rutgers aspect of it is kind of cool, and I think people aren't really talking about what he can do from a versatility aspect. His special teams just that's going to be what people really are excited to see about Bo Melton. Alex, you up? Yep. Um... So my number three here uh, that I have on my list is someone I've talked about in the past. Uh, this is edge rusher Jermaine Johnson, um, also one of the uh, pro uh, visits that the uh, Jets scheduled. Uh, you know, when I think about the linebacker position and I think about having the need to add more pass rushers into the mix here, I think Jermaine Johnson is a perfect fit for what we want. Um, Quincy Williams did a very, very good job when he came in. But I do feel that um, you need to just be – you need to do more um, than just be a run-stopping linebacker. Um, I think that's one of Jermaine Johnson's best traits is uh, the way he plays against the run. And I think it's an added bonus with the disruption that he creates in the backfield. Um, out of his 100 total tackles in college, 24 and a half were behind the line of scrimmage. And then you add the 18 sacks to boot. Um, you really, really have yourselves an elite defensive player. Uh, my hope for the Jets here is that he is available at that 10 pick, um, and that's who we come away with for our edge pass rusher. Yeah, I, th- I, I mean, I think a lot of us like Johnson. I just I, I feel like the, the top two defensive guys I would want, Johnson and Sauce Gardner, I think they're both gone by 10. So it's like, are you willing to take either one at four? And if you are, which one do you go with? Mm-hmm. So it's a tough call, but great players. Um, I think I'm up next, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, so um, I'm going to go with uh, – I think I mentioned him earlier when I was talking about receivers. but And like I said, I like a ton of them. 
But uh, Wandale Robinson out of Kentucky watched a bunch. Of, he was sort of one of the first players I watched, you know, probably a couple months ago now that I started watching like multiple games a day. Um, and Wandale Robinson, that if if you get a chance, um, there there have been a couple of games through this process that I'm I'm watching to watch prospects. But the damn game is so good that I forget I'm watching prospects and I start watching the game. Um, yep. <laughs> and one of them was Tennessee, uh, Kentucky. Man, I'll tell you what, if you have some time to kill and you want to watch an amazing football game, Tennessee, Kentucky, great game, great ending. Baylor, Oklahoma State's another one. That one literally came down to the final play of the game. Fantastic game. But Wandale Robinson, I watched him against Tennessee, and I was like, this guy is something else. And then until then, I turn on a couple more Kentucky games, and I watch probably five, six Kentucky games, and the guy just it, he, he's making diving catches, he's making sliding catches, he's making leaping catches, he's catching the ball at the boundary, you know, the dragon, you know, with the toe drag, and just every every conceivable way to catch a football, and the, you know, some of the run after the catch, the the his ability to juke and make guys miss. I just I wish he'd come in a little bigger at the combine. I think he came in at five seven, which you know I thought he was five nine, which was small. See, you know, to see five seven was was a little bit like make it cringe a little, but he's still just the guy. Just get the ball in his hands and he'll make plays. Um, Wandale Robbins is one of my favorite guys in this class. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of conflicted on him too because he's again in that type like Bo Melton. Like I love those short, shifty mover and shaker type wide receivers, and he's right there, like fringe top ten wide receiver for me with Calvin Austin because I just. I love what they bring. They're just so explosive, and, and you can't tackle them. It's like mm-hmm. they're like dipped in baby oil or something. They just slide right off you. So, all right, my next guy, <laughs> another. I hope not. Another another uh, later round guy. I think he's probably going to go day three. Uh, I a senior bowl guy. I fell in love with. He wasn't even playing his natural position. When you watch him in college, he played more like a. I guess a Sam linebacker, strong side linebacker, and that's Jesse Lucetta. Uh He worked exclusively mm. at the edge position at the Senior Bowl. Uh, he he didn't do fantastic. He didn't stand out like the boy Mafes and obviously the Jermaine Johnsons on the Lions team, but he did enough for me to notice, and I was like, wow. I mean, if they do want to take a more developmental-type rotational pass rusher, I think Jesse Lucetta is another person that could come in and give you at least something out the gate. I think he's not necessarily going to be your number three pass rusher. I think I think John Franklin Myers, they hope, is their third pass rusher. Maybe he kicks inside and they have Bryce Huff as their third pass rusher. But if you're looking at, you know, your your fourth or fifth edge rusher, which Rob Sala said, I'll have a fearsome foursome and still want more. So take this guy with one of your two fourth-round picks, Maybe he does slide later. I've seen him in mocks where he's available in, in the fifth round, and I just completely pass up on him. I think they have him listed as a linebacker, so I always miss that because he's not in the edge group. So he's there in the fifth round in mocks, so maybe you can get away with it. But I would take a swing on him in the fourth round. And, you know, from what we hear, this coaching staff is going to, you know, get the best out of him. Uh, our D-line coach, White Cotton, he, he was – turning heads at the senior bowl with the way he was coaching up these guys. So if they think they have the coaches in place to make these players better, Jesse Lucetta is definitely somebody I could see them targeting. All right. So uh, this was a little difficult for me um, coming up with my top two here. 
you would think by the amount of the amount that I've talked about this player that he would be my number one. I'm putting in yeah. Sauce Gardner here. Uh, yeah, you know, people are getting probably sick of me talking about this player here, but, uh, you know, everything that I think about what he can bring to the table for this defense, uh, you know, at the number four pick, I, I really feel that that would just be a great way to start off the draft. Um, again, as I've said, I would not be upset if they do decide to go toward the offensive line um, or if they want to reverse and go edge at four and then see if there's a corner available at 10 that's, you know, worthy of the pick. I think that's a little more risky. And I think that when Joe Douglas talked about, you know, getting in guys that are like the surest, safest players to put onto this roster that could help them win football games, I think Sauce Gardner meets that mold. Um, you know, I've talked about his numbers in the past, you know, knocking, you don't see a lot of interceptions, you know, nine total, um, you know, 16 pass deflections. But what, the real key factor is here is that he did not let up any touchdowns um, while he was in school. And I think that that brings a level of eliteness to the defense that, um, you know, you don't always need the guys coming off the corner to generate sacks. You know, quality coverage can can pre- create sacks as well and give your guys a little bit more time to get to the quarterback. And I think that's what Sauce Gardner brings to the table. Uh, back to you, Glenn. Yeah, I'm going to stay on the defensive side of the ball uh, or go on the defensive side of the ball here. Um, and again, linebacker. I, I like I said, I like a million of them. But Nicobe Dean, um, a guy who. Another one who, and I've, I've heard a lot of draft pundits say, he's a guy who's going to get picked way later than he should. Um, you just you watch him on film, and the guy just he just sticks out like a house on fire. He covers so much ground. He makes so many plays. He's going to be an impact guy. I know I've, I've heard the comp, the uh, Jonathan Zoma comp made a few times with him. A little bit undersized, but the guy is just mm-hmm. all over the field. Probably going to make a couple of Pro Bowls, and He's, he, you know, I wouldn't have wanted him at ten because you go back to sort of the, the the time around the national championship game late in the college season, he was sort of consistently in that top ten, top fifteen on the TDN boards and things like that. Now he's dropped quite a bit from there. I would love to see him as a Jet. I don't think it'll happen, be again because there's so much depth there. But if you can, if you don't enjoy watching Nicobe Dean, then you know I, I don't know what to tell you because that guy is just. He's all about football and just, you know, as they say, plays you know plays with his hair on fire. They call him Codeine because he puts the ball carrier to sleep. Nicobe Dean is definitely <laughs> one of my favorite players. Yeah, that's, that's a true statement. I heard it on a podcast. I forget which one, but nice. I'll try to look it up and I'll nice. try to look it up and send it to you guys. But yeah, Codeine <laughs> is his nickname. He's definitely a blue Perfect. chip guy in this class, and and if he's there at thirty five, I have a very it's like a Quanu in the first round. If he's there at four, it's so hard to pass up on him. If Nicobe Dean is there at thirty five, how do you pass yeah. up on him? I'm I'm right there yeah. with you. All right, my last guy, senior bowl guy, probably not even going to get drafted type of guy. I can't find any tape on him, so if anybody's listening that has Wachita Baptist film. Please send it to at D-Terriman on Twitter. Uh, I will binge all the Gregory Jr. film I can find. He's a cornerback out of Wachita Baptist. Um, day one of Senior Bowl, obviously another guy. I get there. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? 
had to look at the little sheet with the roster on it. It's Gregory Jr. doing special teams drills as a gunner. And he pushed Leon Washington in the drill at the line of scrimmage so hard that Leon Washington went up to him and, and made a comment to him afterward and was like, hey, we see you over here. And I, it blew up on Twitter. Wachita Baptist, you know, like their writers were loving it on my Twitter. It was great. So he stuck out to me. Not even sure he's going to get drafted, like I said. So I don't know. The Jets' last pick is, I think, 163 in the fifth round. So maybe they don't even draft him and they prioritize him as a, a, a UFA. So Gregory Jr. is my guy. It's, it's very hard to find tape on him. But I'll if anybody wants it, I'll cut up clips of him at the Senior Bowl and post it because – he definitely caught my eye, and I, I really like what he can do. Right on. <clears throat> so my last player here, my number one, um, as you like to say, my draft crush, uh, Dylan, uh, got to go yep. with uh, Chris Olave out of Ohio State. Uh, I've been watching him for a couple of years. I made a fool of myself last year tweeting about him, and I was late to get the memo that he was deciding to stay another year in school. Um so I've been waiting about two years for, for him to become draft eligible. Uh, Glenn, you had mentioned it before, trading back into the first round. Um, I don't see how Green Bay passes on a player like him, especially with mm-hmm. them losing Devontae Adams, and, and now wide receiver becomes a need for them. Um, I do feel at the end of the first round um, is where he probably is going to go. So the Jets will have to probably make a move to get him. Um, if he does slide, that's just unbelievably great luck for them. Um, crazier things have happened on draft day. But, uh, you know, I look at the route running, the shore hands, you know, averaging 15 yards a catch. Um, you know, in that 2020 season, um, Ohio State, you know, um, with the whole COVID thing going on, not a lot of football. This guy found a way to score multiple games, um, multiple touchdowns in, in, you know, numerous games. And then, you know, last year, um, 65 receptions for 13 touchdowns. And um, the separation factor is absolutely elite. And I feel that with a lot of what we see from our wide receivers, um, not too many guys can separate, um, not like Elijah Moore can. And if you can find him another running mate that can do so, I think Zach Wilson would thrive with a wide receiver like that coming into the fold. So that would be my top favorite five. And, Glenn, you can put a bow on it for us. Well, as, as I've said for a little while now, and you guys know, and I've, you know, I've tweeted a couple times, um, another receiver to me, Jahan Dotson, um, ever since that, that clip I sent you guys last year when I was watching, yep. I think it was Michael Parsons. Up, I was watching somebody from Penn State, and I was like, guys, look at the catch this guy made. And it was that one-handed grab against Ohio State. So I paid very close attention to Jahan Dotson this year. He did not disappoint. He looked even better this season. Um, much like Olave, creates separation, elite speed. To me, best hands in this class. Some of the grabs he makes are absolutely insane. Um, I know George Pickens actually had – I think it was you sent that, right, Dylan? Pickens had the best or the lowest drop rate. Um, and he's another one with phenomenal yeah. hands. And uh, I, I don't know. It's kind of a sidebar. I don't know if you guys have been listening to the um, – what is it? The draft, the the tapeheads draft season, the Bob Wischusen, um podcast. They've done a really good job with uh, breaking down film. And uh, I forget, uh, is it Greg Cosell? I think the ESPN guy who yeah. breaks down film. He, uh, mm-hmm. I listened to the episode the other day. He said that he thinks had Pickens played the full season, he'd be a top ten pick. 
rates him ahead of Drake mm-hmm. London. Um, actually rated Alec Pierce sort of on par with London. Um, so that's you know that's another name mm-hmm. out there. But but Pickens, I absolutely love. If, if there was more of him, he probably would have been in my top five. Um, but yeah, my number one is Jahan Dotson. Like I said, very similar, I think, to Chris Olave in that they're both quick, they're both fast, they're both smallish, um, they both separate. I just, I think, to me, the thing that sets Dotson apart is, you know, incredible hands. But you'd be happy to have either guy in your offense. Yeah, I'm so conflicted with guys like Drake London to the point where I'm just like, hey, give me the Jahan Dotsons of the world as a safer pick because I think Joe Douglas needs more safe picks than upside slash project, projection picks, so to speak. So definitely Jahan Dotson, that's your guy. You've been all over him, and I've grown to love him more and more every time I watch him too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when, when you think about some of the schemes that we're running here with our offense, you know, mixing in a little bit of RPO action, um, you know, quick screens, bubble screens, jet sweeps, um, quick slants, things like that. You find a way to get the ball into Dotson's hands, and then, you know, the yards after catches, you know, where he'll thrive the most is, you know, from what I've seen. And, um, you know, some of the acrobatic catches to go along with it, too, really shows how high his talent level goes. So <clears throat> very excited to see um, the type of talent that, you know, the Jets can bring in here. Um, I don't think he was on um, the list that we spoke about earlier, um, but this is not mm-hmm. anything set in stone. This is just some nuggets that we saw for some certain players that had intrigued us. Um, Glenn, we did mention at the top of the show, N'Kobe Dean was one of the players that the, uh, the Jets had a meeting with at the Combine. So he's definitely on their radar. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, well, you know, we're, we're another week closer to the draft, um, you know, getting goosebumps here, thinking about what the Jets are going to do here. And, uh, you know, sooner than later we'll be talking about our new prospects and uh, what they're going to bring to the table once Joe Douglas figures this whole thing out. So really, really, really Can't wait because that'll be here. fun. That's always fun. Yep. That's it. Um, so, gentlemen, um, you know, we still got a little bit of time on the clock here. Um, don't know if, you know, Blog Talk's going to do it, uh, uh, you know, cut us short here. But uh, if there's any right. last, you know, things you guys want to talk about, or any players that you'd like to mention, uh, maybe honorable mention or things like that. Uh, we we have time. Yeah, you you yeah, I'm my actually brain just sitting here. I mean, he, oh, go ahead, Dylan. I'll I'll, I'll try to make it quick. Uh, Chris Olave, you mentioned it, and you you had me kind of stewing in my brain that I heard a, a little draft tidbit, and it was from Josh Norris, and it said that Ron Rivera hasn't gone to a a pro day in person, not in South, uh, not in North Carolina, excuse me, uh, since 2017. He went to Cam's in 2011, Pat Pete's in 2011, and McCaffrey's in 2017. Other than that, he hasn't gone to any out-of-state pro days, but he went to Chris Olave's pro day and talked to him personally. So that's intriguing that they pick at 11 because Olave might not be there to pick after the Jets pick at 10 when – I was hoping that they would trade up and potentially get a guy like Olave. That is interesting. That would be that's, something. That's a good one because, yeah, if you went one pick after the Jets, if uh, well, the thing, the thing, you know, you hope that the, you know, you think back to the what was it? What year was it? The, in the '90s, Dylan, you you wouldn't remember this, but when the Jets <laughs> made a deal, 
Pat Kerwin actually writes about this, and um, I think he wrote about it in uh, Take Your Eye Off the Ball, where he mentions the Jets were picking, I forget where they were, um, like six or seven, but top ten probably, because that's where they always were. Um, but they they had they were interested in a player that they felt like they could get one spot lower, and the Cardinals were picking one spot after the Jets, but the Jets were able to convince the Cardinals that they were interested in the player they wanted. So the Cardinals said, look, we'll give you Johnny Johnson, who was a starting running back. We'll give you a starting running back and a draft pick if we can just flip and we move up the one spot. And then the Jets were happy to do it, and they ended up getting their player anyway because they knew the guy they wanted wasn't the guy that the Cardinals wanted. So this is a, if the team right behind you wants a guy and you can convince them that you want him too, they might give you a little something just to flip picks and uh, and get their guy. So definitely something worth keeping an eye on. But uh, in terms Very of uh, this guy came to mind, Alex, when you said, um, you know, honorable mention guys, only because I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm watching, uh, I just finished re-watching the game I mentioned, the uh, Baylor-Oklahoma State game. And uh, Abram Smith. Um, not not a runner that would, you mm-hmm. would say would fit this system from a from a physical profile, but he's much better feet than you would expect. This guy's a converted linebacker, um, and he plays like it. He's a you know old school smash mouth guy. Um, you see him trucking defenders over, but you know there was one play in particular I was just watching where the, you know, the run was up the middle. It clearly wasn't there. Had the had the feet to move laterally, get to the outside, and pick up a few yards. And I just think that, uh, you know, the Jets aren't looking for a, a 25-30 carry a week guy because they've, they've got Michael Carter who's going to carry the ball 12 to 15 times and they need someone to, to carry the ball another, you know, 10, 12, 15 times as well. And I think if you can get an Abram Smith or somebody like that, you know, I mentioned Tyler Beatty, but Abram Smith is just another guy. He's just really fun to watch because you only have to watch him run the ball a few times and it's the least surprising thing in the world to hear that he's a converted linebacker because he runs the ball like he's a linebacker. Yep, I studied him in my senior bowl, um, you know, pre-senior bowl stuff. And once I found out he was converted linebacker, I'm like, it makes a lot of sense. He's very good yep. at diagnosing the defense. And that's similar to Troy Anderson. Uh, he was a former quarterback and running back. So now that he's flipped over to defense, he still knows offensive things. It's not like he forgot those little tendencies and kicks that the offense does to give away plays. So it only helps when you can flip on the other side of the ball and still have a successful career. So Abram Smith's the guy I definitely like. Absolutely. But uh, that's all I got. Anything else, fellas? No, this is great. I'm so glad we finally got you on. It's been been too long since the three of us got together, and I think you're killing it over yeah, on most, YouTube. I think everybody everybody needs to go check out what you're doing on YouTube. I I watch you every week, and I, I think it's great. You bring a lot of good good takes that I don't think necessarily everybody's thinking about, and I I, I, I truly agree with a lot of them. I think I think your takes are really good. Yeah, I appreciate that. And yeah, you know, we got Green Bean on the Jet Nation channel. I know we uh, we upload your guys' stuff sometimes. We upload my stuff sometimes. So people should uh, give the Jet Nation channel on YouTube a follow. We got some, uh, you know, some pretty some pretty solid exclusive content. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. We we try to uh, you know give you and uh, Green Bean as much uh, shout outs as we can because. Uh, you know, Green Bean's the traveling jet gnome, per se, and uh, <clears throat> you never know where he's going to end up. But he, he always seems to find time to, uh, you know, squeeze out 
a five-minute video. He's networking and collaborating with, with other YouTubers and doing live shows and stuff like that, um, which is really, really good stuff. And then Glenn, you know, expanding our Jet Nation scene on YouTube, um, getting more video content, um, which is definitely seems to be the trend as of late. So that that's all good good stuff here. And, of course, the forum, JetNation.com, if you don't know, Go to our website at Jet Nation. Um, get involved in the conversation. You can download our app, um, sign up, and uh, nonstop Jets conversation talk because um, that's what we're all about here at Jet Nation. Uh, gentlemen, good show. Glad that we we're all able to get together and uh, talk about the draft. Um, we are officially two weeks away from, from the big day, um, April 28th. Um, don't know what you guys have in store, uh, but I'll probably be at a bar with my friends pacing in front of the television, or if one of them yep. permit me to come into their house, um, I will probably be wearing out the carpet with anxiety and excitement. <laughs> um, but yeah, we are getting just a little bit closer every day, and, and uh, I'm getting pumped over here to see what we finally do with all these picks here. So, uh this is Alex Ferraro signing off for Dylan Terman and D. Glenn Naughton. So glad to have you back. Everyone be well, stay safe, and as usual, let's go Jets. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets.